0: I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks. And remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics.
1: I'd also like to introduce our panelists uh, that are helping along with the program today. Uh, Anthony Hansen, Integrated Pest Management out of the uh, Morris area, uh, along with Jared uh, Goplin, our, our crops educator from Western Minnesota. And finally, Dr. Jeff Coulter, uh, University of Minnesota uh, Corn Specialist and um, uh, Ryan Miller, and uh, Seth Nave, also from the University of Minnesota. But without further ado, I think, uh, Dennis, uh, if uh, if if you're on at this point in time, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the things that we could mention today uh, in terms of the weather outlook here for Minnesota farmers. So I'll turn it over to you.
0: Okay, thanks for having me. Uh, appreciate, uh, appreciate the invitation. And I assume, Get this thing to go out of the way here. Um, you're seeing the preview screen, correct? Not the uh, not the full version. Correct. Okay. Let's see. Trying to get this. So sorry about this, folks. Maybe the ah, there we go. Display settings up on top. Yeah, there. it was. It's hidden behind. It's hidden behind the. Uh, it was hidden behind the uh, the text message box. So anyway, thanks for having me here. Um, I understand that this is going to be used for a podcast, so I'll be as descriptive as possible in what I'm showing you here uh, for the the people who are not seeing the slides. Thanks for the invitation. Always good to talk about growing season conditions and what we're looking at and what's going to be coming up. Dick did kind of mention, or sorry, I called him by his brother's name. I know his brother. Uh, Dave mentioned about addressing quickly La Nina. La Nina is being talked about from several folks about potential issues with this. Uh, what we're talking about with La Nina, we're talking about sea surface temperature, ocean temperatures in the Pacific Ocean. So the graphic we have here on the left is showing you a, a, a map of sea surface temperatures in the Pacific. Blue areas are colder than average. Uh, the, the, the yellows, browns, reds are warmer than average. So we are still in a full-fledged La Nina graphic on the right hand side shows how that has changed over time over the last year it varies in strength uh, typically La Nina's are a wintertime phenomenon and tend to weaken during the summertime but when they do influence come happen during the, the spring and summer they do have some influences and we'll talk about here in the next slide uh, so that is is, is, a, is a player in what's going on right now and what we had for this spring may not have been too much of a surprise to us because the graphic on the left here shows what happens during La Nina and the way of spring temperatures and you can see a temperature uh, that you know areas of blue throughout the whole northern plains and upper midwest indicating that La Nina's during the springtime can lead to cooler conditions and we've had that I'll show you that here in a graphic here in just a minute. Now the other thing about La Nina's or uh, the opposite phase El Nino is it does give us some look ahead of time out several months in advance as to what the outlooks could because they do influence what's happening in our weather and climate here and the graphic on the right hand side shows lots of browns to yellows throughout the center part of the country and that is what happens during previous la ninas in the way of summer precipitation so it's indicating chances for decreased precipitation throughout all the plains and even Minnesota, Iowa, uh, you know a good portion of the, of the corn belt. Now is this a guarantee that's going to be a problem for the rest of the corn, for the rest of the season? No, it's not a guarantee, but it's an increased level of risk and something we're going to keep an eye on as we go along here. Okay, Just recapping last 30 days uh, real quickly where we are. Uh, We have been very cold the last 30 days. We're showing a a graphic of the departure from average, difference from average temperatures over the last 30 days. Lots of blues and purples uh, from Iowa, Minnesota, up into the Northern Plains, indicating below average temperatures. Most of Minnesota has been four to six degrees below average. Parts of western Minnesota into North Dakota have been even colder, six to ten degrees below average. Uh, So that's been a real player in, in the conditions that we're dealing with right now. We'll talk about that here more in just a second in the way of, uh, I forgot to change the image here, this 30-day precipitation, not 30-day temperatures. Upper left-hand side is how much precipitation we've had the last 30 days. Lower right-hand side is percent of normal precipitation. So the the take-home message here is that Minnesota, the northern, about the quarter of Minnesota has been wetter than average. Most of the rest of the state has kind of been a mixed below, slightly below or slightly above average. So the last 30 days haven't been that wet from excess precipitation, but our problem has been that we've had very cold temperatures and seemingly quite a bit of cloudiness that has kept our soils from drying out. We haven't had a lot of rain, but we've not been able to dry out. We've had plenty of wind and we can talk about that here in just a bit to dry things out. We just haven't had the temperature and and the sunlight to help us fix that. What that's led to, Uh, is reduced field work days, lower right-hand side. This is a graphic of the number of days of field work. Minnesota last week, you guys keep improving. You were up to 6.2.6 days of field work last week, and that's increased the last three weeks, but you started from 0.1 at the beginning of that. So uh, that's been our problem, not only in Minnesota, but all across the the Midwest. Um, The problem The other. Put situation this has put this in, delayed corn planting. The graphic in the upper left-hand side, all those spaghetti looking lines are the progress in corn planting um, uh, currently. The red line that's at the bottom uh, is the second lowest uh, corn percent corn planted at this point, only behind 2013. And we're only counting days since the year 2000, or years since 2000. So uh, we're only behind 2013. Uh, Pretty soon there's a crossover point where 2019 became the slowest 2013 was was slow early and then we were able to kick off around this time. And and I think we're going to be able to make some quicker progress here as we're going along here too. Okay, looking ahead, next seven days, this is a graphic that shows amount of precipitation forecast by the computer models over the next seven days. And centered on Minnesota, you know, the whole state looks, is in, you know, in the vicinity of, of an inch to an inch and a half of precipitation. It's not a guarantee everyone's going to get that amount, but those are the relative amounts uh, that we can expect. Uh, a lot of those are going to come in the next two days as we have chances of storms the next two days. Also, by the way, look out for severe weather the next two days over much of the state We'll watch the National Weather Service for updated uh, information on that. Then we have a several day window that there could be progress. We could maybe be able to get some progress. And then towards the end of the seven day period, we have some, some more precipitation coming. Also very warm the next couple of days. Uh, it's not unheard of to get 90 degree days this time of year, but it's considering where we've been, it's it's, it's been a pretty big flip. And then we will moderate into next week. And that's what we're gonna show you here is the eight to 14 day temperature outlook. Um, Kind of a a, a difference of, 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 of uh, across the country. Southern parts of the US looking very warm and especially the southwest more likely dry. But the northern tier of the US, especially most of Minnesota, has a slightly better chance of being cooler again next week and slightly better chance of increased precipitation, but those probabilities are, are very, very slight. So back to closer to average temperatures is what I would expect going into next week. And then the, you know, going back to the La Niña issue. I've got a graphic here uh, showing the seasonal temperature outlook for June, July, August. And the temperature outlook on the left-hand side, you see lots of uh, tans to reds, increased chances for warmer than average. Uh, that's the, you know, La Niña is a player there. Also, the computer models have been playing pretty strongly. And then with dry conditions to our to in the plains, uh, very good likelihood of warmer than average conditions there. But that does extend up into Minnesota. And then on the right-hand side, precipitation outlook also has much of the plains and then the central corn belt with uh, a, a slightly increased chance for drier. So warmer and drier is at increased risk this year. Again, is it a guarantee? Not a guarantee, but it's at increased risk. So real briefly, then just a, a recap: you know, cooler, somewhat wetter this spring. Conditions are are improving. Soils have warmed up, but we're still wet, uh, somewhat. And then, you know, warmer this week, uh, slightly cooler, wetter next week, and then chances of warmer and drier into the summer. Okay, quite a bit there, but tried to condense that in as quickly as possible. So thanks for having me. Let's move on to the next part.
1: Okay. Thank you very much, Dennis. Um, <clears throat> any other questions from our panelists or co-hosts for Dennis? Yeah, and if folks do have questions, uh, make sure you type them into the Q&A box and we'll make sure we get those asked. Um, Dennis, I do have one uh, question related to the interaction between temperatures and cloudiness. Um, you know, typically this time of year, it seems like when you have sun, the, the temperature really warms up. What's the, I mean, is that kind of a, a pretty good relationship or, um, you know, is one driving the other? How does that, uh, that all work? I guess.
0: Um, it, it is, it's a clouds create an interesting interplay in the way of temperatures. Um, obviously when you have cloud cover, you get less sunlight coming in and that's during the daytime. So that means that you get less sunlight coming in, less able to warm up during the day. The other thing that clouds do, though, is they uh, prevent the loss of radiational, uh, radiational and inter- radiation heat at night to so actually keep you warmer at night if you have cloud cover. So if we're wanting to avoid frost or freeze conditions, that does help us stay warmer at night. So clouds have this great moderating influence in the way of temperature. Uh, overall, we just haven't had, you know, we would, if you had sunny days, you would heat up, even with with cooler temperatures, you'd heat up during the day. And we just haven't had that much this year.
1: So Dennis, right now, we're going to be uh, having a period of uh, rainy weather here the next uh, two days, exceptionally, really, um, I, I think abnormally high temperatures uh, and, and dew points. So there's a risk of uh, more severe uh, weather coming into that. But immediately behind the latter part of May, if we get back into the fields, um, uh, do we anticipate uh, um, good growing conditions and then also um, a lot of farmers in Minnesota obviously use a pre emergent herbicide are, are we not that you're going to guarantee rainfall, but it sure would be nice at some point towards the end of May.
0: And let's see, the, 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 the two week outlook I showed you does carry on into near the end of May. So that week two period does have some increased chances for precipitation. Um, I'm, less, I'm, I'm not very concerned about uh, lack of precipitation now, I'm more concerned about a lack of precipitation as we go on into the summer. So I would expect there to be continued to chances for precipitation.
1: There was uh, one question in here, a comment a little bit about the wind. And uh, we've, we've talked about that in, in the past uh, number of years when we talked about making our, some of these early post-emergence applications. Um, any feeling <coughs> output of La Nina here and as systems move through and, and jet streams are, 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 are we gonna be just battling the same amount of wind as, as typical or any, any comments there?
0: We, we don't have good indicators on wind forecasts. We do temperature and precipitation outlooks. We don't talk about wind. I, I think with something maybe we should do some more work on one of our problems with wind is we don't have as good a climatology of wind as we do temperature and precipitation we have detailed temperature and precipitation going back hundred years we don't have that same information for wind back to the the question the the, the, the question yes we have been windier than average um, that is is pretty clear based on some of the data that we have available unfortunately we don't have quite the the assessment to be able to describe it better you know has it just been has been you know Peak winds have been stronger and then we've had calmer times or have just been overall windy. We generally have been windier than average throughout much of, of the year so far. Uh, that does concern me going on in the way of um, in the way of applications because people are going to be doing various applications that do drift. So I, I'm concerned about people trying to get that done in wind and we're going to see a lot of drift issues related to that. Um, do what do we see going on? I, I can't say too much uh, forecast for wind, but it seems to have persisted. So I would I would you know plan that way that the windier conditions are going to stick with us for a while.
2: I think that's a uh, good time to segment a little bit here over to uh, Bruce Potter. We'll talk about integrated pest management and basically what the critters are up to in our fields here. So. Bruce, thinking about uh, weather still a little bit, I know one of the main ones you look at is black cutworm. We talk about weather fronts affecting what we deal with that one. So you want to give folks just a quick primer on black cutworm and what you've been seeing so far with it.
3: Well, sure. Um, you know, we're kind of on the edge of the Great Plains, but um, it's actually it's uh, engineered as a pretty efficient uh, transport system for insects to get north and south um, in the spring and fall. And uh, so, what we what we see with black cutworms, they don't overwinter here, and it's the same with a lot of our insect pests: uh, armyworm, uh, potato leafhopper, aster leafhopper, some of the, the small grain aphids, cereal aphids. But they overwinter in the south, and then and then uh, uh, they're they're looking for the right weather systems to help bring those north. And if we have a have a low pressure system in the west that moves across, and we've got high pressure in the east. That, um, you got a system that's pumping up uh, uh, warm moist gulf there and it'll bring insects along with them. Um, you know, and and, we're, and how many insects we get kind of depends on uh, where the low tracks and it also depends on where we get precipitation. A lot of these uh, end up falling out on the backside of, of thunderstorms. So we've had a couple of those events this summer with black cutworm. Uh, not uh, a horribly uh, uh, big year for, for the insect, but uh, 28th, 29th, 30th, uh, 1st of May, we had a system that, that brought uh, significant captures into parts of Minnesota, um, and now where uh, we know where that biofix is, when uh, uh, when the insects have arrived, we can start using degree day uh, models to predict uh, predict when uh, eggs will hatch, when leaf eating will start. Uh, when uh, cutworms are big, gonna be big enough to cut corn and also uh, when uh, they should be uh, ready to pupate and, and the risk starts to go down.
2: I know just looking at some of the maps you've put out, it looks like uh, Southern Minnesota has seen uh, some cutworms, at least I know uh, more central Minnesota where you know, I have a trap out to near our farm. Um, you know, we've found a couple, but it's pretty sparse. Is that kind of the trend you're seeing across the state? Just kind of a north-south gradient?
3: Uh, yeah, and it's, it's pretty typical for uh, Minnesota um, in that those winds that transport insects to the north usually, uh, um, you know, move from the, uh, those systems move from the south to the north in the spring. Uh, we'll get migrations into northwest Minnesota, for example, but they tend to happen a little bit later in the spring than, than we get those in the south. And, and as far as black cutworms, we're kind of on the edge of uh, uh, high risk in southern Minnesota overall. Um, As you go south into Iowa and eastern eastern Corn Belt, uh, they get uh, more consistent migrations up.
2: So thinking a little bit more about what we might see in the spring on the insect side of things, what are you keeping an eye out for? I know we've heard um, some reports, people concerned about alfalfa weevil. Uh, It may have also been uh, clover weevil out there. So you want to talk a little bit about both identification, what we're looking for, and also kind of what our timeline is, because sometimes it's late May around Memorial Day that we're starting to really look at alfalfa weevil more.
3: Well, sure, and, and uh, we'll, we'll hit, we need to sort of back, circle back a little bit to some of these migratory insects, but um, I actually found the first alfalfa weevil in Southwest Minnesota yesterday. It's right on the early side. They're just starting to move into alfalfa. Uh, no, I haven't seen any larvae or anything yet. Uh, but it's something to something to keep an eye on. What we don't know is we had uh, in the Southern part of the state, uh, Lamberton, uh, Southwest Minnesota, as you get uh, into the Southwest corner, uh, most of that winter was pretty open and we had some real cold weather. Um, and that I think probably had an impact on overwintering survival on some insects. As you go into areas where we had more snow, I think uh, things like, uh, Alfalfa weevil, uh, bean leaf beetle, those sorts of things are gonna have a little better chance of overwintering.
2: So how about our, I think kind of last insect question here is thinking about seed corn maggot, that one should be coming up pretty soon in terms of emergence. And also for a little late iron corn planting, that might line up for people uh, pretty well in terms of when the pest is emerging and when planting is occurring. So what should people keeping in mind for that?
3: Well, I think for seed corn maggot, uh, you can look at degree day models and kind of get an idea of when the adults are active. Uh, you don't want to be incorporating, uh, manure or, or green manure, um, uh, you know, ahead of that, ahead of that period and then planting right, uh, close to it, um, because you're going to have, uh, soybeans or corn emerging, uh, about the same time. Those larvae are really active and looking for something to eat. So, um. Fields with a lot of organic matter and fields that have had a lot of manure on them. And if you're getting that planted uh, close to when those adults are out, those are the fields you uh, want to take special care of and either shift your planting date a little bit or make sure you've got a good seed treatment on the, on the seed.
2: So we can move over to uh, some of our other pests, think about diseases a little bit. What do you think uh, we should be keeping an eye out for with kind of our cold, wet spring, uh, a lot of folks haven't had anything in the ground yet, so we wouldn't be as worried about um, issues with seed just sitting there, but there could be some people that got out there early too. So what kind of uh, issues could we be seeing with the current conditions?
3: Um, well, as far as diseases, I think uh, anytime you have a wet spring, you tend to see uh, uh, some more problems and it seems like they've, they've uh, filtered to uh, through to later in the season. Uh, we see some more issues with, uh, Things like uh, brown stem rot, sun death syndrome, especially if we get some real heavy soaking soil and the soybeans are already planted. And there's some of that out there. The guys made a lot of progress uh, around here uh, since last Friday, um, and and they got a lot of quite a bit of corn in and some soybeans. Uh, southwest corner, they've uh, they've really knocked a lot of stuff out. So um, generally, if you get cool, wet conditions, you're at risk for things like Pythium. Um, And if it's warm and wet, you have uh, more risk for things like Phytophthora and and, uh, the fusariums can go either way. So the point is, is that uh, as long as it's wet, your uh, chance for seedling diseases and seed uh, root diseases go up Um, and it just a matter uh, depends on the temperature, which ones you're gonna have an issue with. So uh, we're
2: probably not looking at too much for weeds quite yet. Um, especially with tillage going on, but plant or seeds in the ground, people are working on their pre-emerges. So anything people should be keeping an eye out kind of is our, uh, last point to think about for pest control there on the weed side of things right now. We'll obviously be getting into post-emergence a little bit later, but pre-emerge is obviously the main issue to think about right now. Right?
3: Well, I'm hoping uh, most guys are not ignoring putting a pre on when they're planting and, uh, you know, right now we've got a lot of the lambs quarters up, a lot of the ragweeds are up. We're even, I'm even seeing some pigweeds and and a few foxtails up. So tillage that's going on right now, um, you know, ahead of planning is, is at least knocking out per, uh, part of that first flush. Uh, if we get a little moisture on it, uh, I think the pre's are going to do a lot better. We had some issues last summer when it was dry. Um, and then, and then I think it's going to be a matter of uh, you know using the right uh, post-emerger beside and getting it on uh, at the right time. I'm not a weed scientist, but so I'm making all that up. But uh, it's probably probably too, not too harmful. Yeah, this weed what it science
1: is, is easy, right, Bruce?
3: Uh, that's what they told me in college. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I'm looking at Dennis's, uh, some of the things that Dennis was sharing. You know, I think that's a really valid point. Uh, probably get the pre's on earlier rather than later. Um, just to make sure they get activated, because it looks like we might turn a little bit on the dry side and end up in a situation like last year. So despite the fact that we're really wet now or feel wet, um, you know, earlier is probably better, I guess, just looking at that forecast.
3: I think kind of uh, along with this tillage subject is, uh, you know, we're talking about things like black cutworm um, or, you know, talked about seed corn maggot and timing uh, of planting to when the adults are out, but uh, when those moths come in, what they're looking for is, Uh, Early season weed growth. They're looking for a lot of times depressional areas where it's a little bit moisture soil. Um, So we've got some some hints on where to look for these in the spring. And field corn that was planted, uh, corn that was planted are the fields that were worked before those moths arrived. Those are at much less risk. The fields that were worked after that moth flight came in those are the ones you're gonna wanna key in and and especially certain types of fields. Um, On the other hand, we've got armyworms uh, and those fields we really wanna pay attention to are, some people wanna plant uh, corn into a rye cover crop. Um, That works just fine until uh, you've got a flight of armyworms that are looking for uh, lush vegetation, they're laying eggs in the the, uh, rye and that's fine. But once you kill that rye off, uh, they move to the corn, you can have some real, real significant problems. So scouting needs to be where uh, you've got these cover crops really needs to be uh, uh, kicked up a notch.
1: Say, Br- Bruce, I know you're not a social media king quite yet, but you did post a picture of buckthorn um, and uh, on the uh, Twitter this morning, or at least I did, I did see it this morning. Uh, I don't know. I'm a heck of a botanist, Steve. Botnis, can, uh, can you go ahead and uh, prognosticate here um, uh, how early you know given this current weather, could we be seeing um, a soybean aphids? Typically we worry about it in July, but I mean there's a, they're apparent that they could be uh, with us uh, in June.
3: Well, the reason I had that uh, picture of the buckthorn on is is there's some work uh, out of Canada in the past. Um, that indicates that about the time that buckthorn bud break occurs uh, is when, when you start to see uh, uh, there's a, a phenological uh, niche, uh, nick there with soybean aphid egg hatching. So right now those eggs on buckthorn, anything that survived the winter should be hatching. Um, and then I think really the big factor I think for, for those aphids is how good a job they can do colonizing soybeans in the spring. So if we've got a lot of soybeans up, where those are planted or volunteer, when they're making that move to buckthorn, um, they're going to do a little bit better. If they're uh, the, the, if they're, they're trying to move and there's not much soybean uh, for them to colonize, they're not going to do as well. And then we're going to look at summer weather. And Dennis was talking about uh, warmer and drier. Uh, that's probably not going to, a little bit on the warm and dry side will favor aphids, but if it's uh, it goes too far, uh, things like spider mites are going to are gonna uh, take over. Aphids aren't going to do as well. We've
1: got just um, a couple minutes left. Uh, we've got uh, Jeff Coulter with us, and there was one question that came in from um, one of our, uh, our, our uh, significant extension people from way back when, Roger Olkowski here, a little bit of on. Used to be, we talked about May 10th, um, and yes, this was years ago, Jeff, before you started here, so you can't be credited or blamed with it, but we thought, well, May 10th, corn yields are gonna be decreased. What's the current thinking and recommendation here in terms of uh, uh, when we talk about corn yields significantly being decreased or and or changing corn hybrids?
4: You wanna sum that up uh, for us? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, Well, uh, a recent analysis of uh, corn planting date trials conducted in Minnesota from 2009 to 2016 kind of shows a similar thing, but a little bit later for when that delay in yield potential starts. So for corn planted through May 12, we can still expect near maximum yield. uh, But after May 12, yield starts to drop off. Between May 13 and May 19, we're looking at about 97 to 98 percent of maximum yield which is still not bad. Uh, and then when we get to May 20th to May 25th, then we're looking at about 94 to 96% of maximum yield. Uh, so typically we don't see any reduction in yield potential till we've had 140 growing degree days accumulated. And after tomorrow, we, we will have had 140 growing degree days accumulated at Waseca. So uh, these yield reduction uh, estimates that I just mentioned, I think are accurate for this growing season. With regards to changing hybrid maturity, nothing really to worry about yet, but uh, when we get to May 22 to May 28, then we want to want to be thinking about switching to hybrids that are five to seven relative maturity units earlier than a full season hybrid for, for your area.
1: That kind of good. Now, now, Seth Nave, you're lurking in the background here. I don't know if you're photo on or if you can hear us, but uh, quick comments on soybeans. I think we've got some time here on, on soybean panty. We don't need to be running to the exit door here yet.
4: Yeah, my, um, my video's locked now, too, so um, I'll just uh, speak uh, clearly for you since you don't have to look at me. I... Um, the um, soybeans really follow pretty closely what Jeff just mentioned on the corn side so uh, obviously earlier is better but uh, we're really not uh, ding too badly yet And so uh, I think we're in we're in really pretty good shape at this point. so we always say these you know first week of May is ideal for us and soybeans really uh, so we're just a little bit behind that so um, we're, we're still in good shape.
1: Great um, I don't know if there are any other, uh, comments, uh, here from any of the panelists, uh, um, Dennis, you put in there, if they, if they want to really follow you around all day long, they can do that on Twitter, evidently, um, see what you do for a living, but, uh, you know, you, you indicated that and you can put that back in, I think a question there, um, any other comments, um, from any panelists, Bruce, etc. at this point, um, Well, if there are, I don't think there's any, um, Jared or Anthony, any other questions that came through the uh, chat or the Q&A? Yeah, Dave,
0: Dave, one more thing I should, you know, you mentioned about warm temperatures. Uh, Even though the temperatures are not incredibly warm, they're going to be much warmer than we have been. So for people working outside, just to take note of that and be careful uh, to allow your body to readjust to the warmer temperatures. Uh, As I walked the dogs this morning, it was or 70 with, with high sixties dew points. And I kind of caught myself going outside.
1: Well, I should preface this that you're speaking from the deep South down there in Ames, Iowa. And uh, I, I trust those Iowa farmers are getting their crop in the ground as well
0: uh Iowa's not that much further than you guys um and actually I, northwest iowa is western parts of iowa that are drier and then the plain states actually have had more progress and i, I was wondering about southwest minnesota might not have had been had a little more progress like northwest iowa because of a bit drier conditions there
3: yeah dennis the southwest corner uh, they've been they've been going uh, a little bit earlier and a little bit harder than than some of the other areas yep okay
1: all right, um, Jared, anything else or Anthony that you have at this time? Oh, I think we're uh, kind of uh, at that 8.30 mark. So I think we'll kind of wrap it up. And we want to really thank our sponsors, Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotion Council, along with the Minnesota Corn Research and Promotion Council um, as as well. We provided some uh, timely information and uh, just mark it on your calendar every uh, Wednesday morning uh, from 8 uh, to uh, 8.30. And if there's no other comments from our panelists and staff, we want to thank again, uh, Dennis and Bruce for uh, being our our principal uh, guests here this morning. And uh, we look forward to your information and topics as we go forward uh, through uh, 2022. Thank you again and have a good day.
3: Good luck out there, everybody, and be safe.